When you see a rainbow in the sky, what's your first thought? Is it about the pot of gold at the end of that rainbow? Or is it proof that the Earth really isn't flat? Or is it just a natural phenomenon that happens after a rain shower? Or is it evidence of one of God's promises? Well, that's our question on Wisdom 828, where we're dedicated to stamping out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. Who are you? Who are so wise? A viewer writes this question. What is the importance of the Noahic covenant, that is the covenant with Noah, in the grand scheme of things? Well, that's a great question. The story of Noah can be found in Genesis chapters five through nine. It's an important uh, chapter, chapter five, to read, even if you find that genealogy hard to follow. The reason is that the line of ancestors that are mentioned there are the descendants of Adam through Seth and not Cain. Cain's descendants are briefly listed in Genesis chapter four. The line of descendants from Seth to Noah spans 1656 years. The importance of following the line of Seth is that it relates all the way back to God's promise that he gave to Eve that a child would be born to her that would bruise the head of the serpent, that is Satan, which in turn would bruise the child's heel. Now, Adam and Eve uh, took that promise as the immediate fulfillment in their son, Seth but God planned for that fulfillment to be in Christ many generations later. So now back to Noah. As the story of these two lines of ancestors develops, Seth and Cain's, we see the universal progress of sin growing rapidly and comprehensively through the human race until we get to the point where Moses, the author of Genesis, tells us this. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry that he had ever made them and he put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe out this human race uh, that I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry that I ever made them, but Noah found favor in the Lord. And then God came to Noah with instructions to build an ark, a boat big enough to house all of the animals that God would bring into it. And, and notice, there are no unicorns here. So Noah and his family, eight individuals also were in that ark. This ark had to house them for 40 days of rain and flooding. They stayed in the ark for about one more year. And after that year was up, the Lord told Noah and his family to leave the ark, let all the animals go too. And once outside the ark, the Lord made a covenant with Noah. An Old Testament covenant can be an arrangement between uh, individuals for mutual benefit. Oftentimes, uh, say a weak party would enter into a covenant with a stronger party for protection or provision, and the weaker party would benefit from that strength of the other party, especially during times of national, uh, a natural disaster or human threat. When Moses enters in, I'm sorry, when God enters into a covenant uh, with a man or with a nation as he did with Israel, there's no real benefit to God because God needs nothing. The benefit belongs entirely to the man or to the nation. In the covenant with Noah, God brings together his purposes in creation and redemption to multiply and fill and subdue the earth and to preserve human life. 
The covenant that God made with Noah was a repetition of the original creation covenant made with Adam and Eve. But Noah's covenant has two additional features. First, God gave everything in creation to humanity for food, plants, animals, everything. And most importantly, there was a provision for the protection and preservation of life. God said, and I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. If anyone who murders a fellow human, uh, he must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. Now, be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. At the end of all the stipulations of the covenant with Noah, God made a promise and he gave a sign to remember that promise. God made his covenant with every animal that was in the earth as well as all humanity and he promised, I am giving you this sign of my covenant, that is my promise, with you and all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It's a sign of my covenant with you and will be with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds. And I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the flood waters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. And then God said to Noah, Yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant that I am confirming with all the creatures of the earth. Now, there are some important, uh, some important things to know about this. When the storm clouds assembled and there was lightning and rain, it was considered a sign of God's majesty and judgment. But now with the clouds came a rainbow and the rainbow in the clouds meant that God's judgment uh, by using a, a flood would never happen again. The rainbow was a sign for all humanity to know that God was keeping his commitment to preserve all human life. The rainbow is a sign of God's common grace and merciful attitude towards undeserving sinners. So the covenant rainbow reminds us that God is keeping his promise to preserve life and all of creation. It's a reminder that he will protect life and prohibit the violation of human life by murder because all people, all people everywhere are made in the image of God. Now the problem of sin wasn't solved by Noah's covenant. It was solved by the new covenant with Christ's death and resurrection. But until Christ returns, we know that God will not judge humanity by a flood. We also can expect that, as God said, as long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. The seasons will come and they will go as always. And so farmers can be assured that uh, there will be planting and harvest as long as the earth remains. And that's good news, don't you think? Now, before we leave this topic, I want to make a comment about the rainbow and the rainbow flag that symbolizes the pride of the LGBTQ movement. I've talked to many Christians who are upset about the co-opting of the rainbow for the LGBTQ pride flag. Now, I did a little checking into this pride flag. 
According to the online edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica, the flag for the LGBTQ movement was created by artist Gilbert Baker in 1978. Gilbert was an openly gay man and a drag queen who was encouraged to create the rainbow flag by Harvey Milk, one of the first openly gay elected officials in San Francisco who was assassinated that very same year, 1978. Now both men believed that the flag would be a powerful symbol for pride in their movement. Baker said in an interview, quote, our job as gay people was to come out and be visible, to live in the truth, as I say, to get out of the lie. A flag really fit that mission because that's the way of proclaiming our visibility or saying, this is who I am. Now, Baker's original flag had eight colors, each a stripe with its own meaning, hot pink, for sex, red for life, orange for healing, yellow for sunlight, green for nature, turquoise for art, indigo for harmony, and violet for spirit. Now, because of the production issues at the time, the pink and turquoise stripes were removed uh, and replaced with basic uh, blue as a contemporary, as we know, the contemporary six-striped flag today. Now, I know Christians who are upset about that movement because they've co-opted those colors. Uh, Baker even mentioned that the rainbow is in the Bible as God's covenant between God and all living creatures, uh, as he uh, was quoted in the online edition of an interview at CNN in 2015 after the Obergefell description by the U.S. Uh, decision, rather, by the U.S. Supreme Court. And he's right about that. But a careful look at the flag, irrespective of Baker's reference in the Bible, in reality shows that the movement hasn't co-opted the covenant rainbow with God. There are two huge differences here to remember. First, a rainbow is a different shape than a stripe. Stripes in the LGBTQ flag are horizontal. The rainbow forms an arc in the sky. And uh, I don't think for once that this is at all coincidental, but it's certainly ironic, at least in English, that God preserved human and animal life through the judgment of a flood in an ark, the boat. And he made the covenant sign of the rainbow in the sky in the shape of an ark. The second thing to remember is that the rainbow that God makes in the sky includes seven colors, not six. God's colors are red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. And indigo and the pink were in the original pride flag, but they cost too much at the time, and, and uh, Baker's dyers just couldn't make those colors. Now, I bring this up as a way of saying what God says about himself. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not share my glory with anyone else or the praise due to me with idols. So believer, don't fret. God is still in charge, befuddling the pride of men. Well, that's all the time we have for today. So thanks for the questions and thanks to Steve Dyan for partnering with me uh, to put an end to spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. Hugh, be of good cheer.